Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson vill jag så bra som mig. Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores! Carlson. Yeah. Carlson. Yes. Welcome everybody to the Keep Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by a guy who's wondering if the Golden Knights got a tax receipt or something after giving Pacioretty away for free like that. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and I... Oh, wait, what's that? It's a psych, just kidding, because I'm not your host for today. I am once again handing the mic over to the great Ben Burnett from Short Shifts, who earlier today recorded an interview with Jesse Granger from The Athletic, all about the Vegas Golden Knights. This is definitely an interview I've been really curious about for a while, because it was just such a crazy season for Vegas, right? Like, we thought they were going to be cup contenders, then they traded for Eichel, and then everything kind of fell apart. They missed the playoffs completely. Now they just had to give away Max Pacioretty to stay under the cap. So, yeah. Oh, Robin Leonard, is he healthy? So, yeah, they're a very interesting team because, you know, a lot of high-end talent. But also you got to wonder how they're going to put the pieces together to try to get rolling. And I'm sure Ben dug into all of that with Jesse. And I'm really excited to listen to it, uh, as I hope you are as well. I guess you must be a little bit since you downloaded this episode of Keeping Carlson. So thanks for doing that. Uh, Before we get to Ben's interview, let me first mention Keeping Carlson, very proudly presented by DauberHockey.com. Your number one resource for everything fantasy hockey and, of course, the creator of the, I don't know, how long has it been? Like 50 years of the Dauber Hockey Guide? It feels like it. Every year you definitely want to get that Dauber Guide and I believe it's for sale uh, as we speak. So you can get it and then, you know, you download it every single time they have updates. Also, if you haven't yet listened to the last couple of episodes on our feed, Brian and I dove deep into a number of the fallouts of UFA week last week, all the trades, all the significant signings. We didn't even get to them all because we just really wanted to give uh, clear fantasy see impacts and analysis for every single one and we're gonna have a part three coming this weekend but in the meantime yeah check out parts one and part two if you haven't done so yet i think you'll like the episode yeah definitely tweet us at keeping carls and let us know what you thought if you disagreed with any of our takes or, or agreed with one of brian or i uh, also thanks to the patrons so much for your support I, i'm just giving a whole thing at the beginning because i'm not going to come back at the end and bug you again but yeah the patrons are keeping carls and keeping us running all throughout the off season we've got our off season and promotion going so just a buck a month still for another couple of months to come hang out in our discord we do our rankings every day we're almost at our top 50 at this point we've been having a lot of fun discussing the fallout from ufa week over there uh but okay i guess with that i'll just mention that it's at keepingcarlson.com slash patron that's how you can become a patron but with that i am done blabbering i promise so let's cut to ben's interview with jesse granger all about the vegas golden knights enjoy Welcome back to Keeping Carlson. I am your host for another edition of the uh, Beat Writer series. My name is Ben Burnett. Joining me today from The Athletic, he writes about the Vegas Golden Knights. We are joined by Jesse Granger. Jesse, did I pronounce your name correctly? I guess that's the first thing I should have asked. Yes, you did. <laughs> well, welcome to the show then. I- I'm ecstatic to invite you or to welcome you now that I know for sure I didn't flub your name. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, you said it perfect. Perfect. How are you doing today, Jesse? How's uh, how's sort of the as we as we see the off season developing? How are you guys doing down there? 
Yeah, it's been good. It's uh, like we were saying before, it's the slow time of the year, but mm-hmm. these, these last couple of weeks have been fun. Um, I, I'm not used to having long summers here in Vegas. I've, I mean, four years in a row, they went deep into the playoffs. So it was kind of a, and as soon as the Golden Knights are off the ice, here's the draft and free agency. That was obviously not the case this year. So I was honestly looking, really looking forward to those two weeks where we went up to Montreal for the draft and that was great. And then we came back and it went straight into rookie development camp, the first one in three years. So uh, we've been pretty busy these last couple of weeks and now we've got a couple months off. It's It's been a good summer though. And so I'm I'm very happy to hear that for you. I feel like the the vibe is good where you are. I hate to bring the vibe down at all, but if you if we talk about the Vegas Golden Knights in 2022, there's no other word to really put it. That was a very disappointing season that the Knights are coming off, uh, you know, missing the playoffs for the first time in franchise history. One of the more shocking playoff misses that I can recall in the last few years as well. I'm wondering, I guess, as a beat writer for the team, what sense you have as to how the organization thinks uh, or, or where things went wrong uh, within the organization last year? Yeah, it's it's interesting because at least outwardly, um, I, I'm sure their communications to themselves, Kelly McCrimmon and, and George McPhee and owner Bill Foley, I, I'm sure they probably have some some nitpicks, but at least outwardly to us, They've basically chalked it up as a mulligan. They're saying, look, we were injured all season, and they're they're 100% right about that. Mark Stone was never himself at any point in the season. Max Pacioretty had multiple injuries. Jack Eichel obviously <laughs> was injured when they traded for him, and he broke his finger, and, and he played through that broken finger. So even the guys that were on the ice were not 100%. So they've basically chalked it up to that season didn't happen. We in, in our in their mind in their minds, we're not going to change anything based off of what happened last year. We think that if we just run it back and stay healthy, we're going to win a lot of hockey games. And to be honest, I kind of feel the same, but also there's some doubts. Um, I, I do have some concerns, but but I do think that for the most part, it's it that that missed playoffs has not really changed the outlook for this team. They still within the organization believe that they are a Stanley Cup contender and they expect to return to that next season. And I I can't wait to find out. I'm tempted to ask where you see them finishing, but I think I'm going to save that because I think we'll we'll sort of get a a sense of that over as as I ask you about a couple of these players. I did have one more look back question here, and this comes from a previous episode of the Keeping Carlson podcast. Our co-hosts, Brian and Elon, were talking about the Golden Knights uh, in their free agency retrospective, and they were talking about following the Max Pacioretty trade where the Knights basically lose him for nothing to free up cap space. Uh, Brian and Elon are debating whether this was part of the plan during the Jack Eichel trade last season. Do you think this was always part of the picture uh, when it came when it comes to having acquired Eichel, or do you think that trading Pacioretty came up? You know, he became a cap casualty as a result of of how things ended up breaking uh, over the course of the season. Yeah, I mean that's a good question. I I have to think that it wasn't part of the plan, and part of my biggest criticism of the Golden Knights over the last couple of years is their lack of planning, is their lack of forward right. thinking. I think I think they've they've actually, when you look at the trades that they've made to acquire players, in my opinion, they've done phenomenally. Um, they, they basically stole Mark Stone from Ottawa. Mm-hmm. That was highway robbery. Um, Jack Eichel, I still think, even though Alex Tuck's a great player, Peyton Krebs is a strong young player, and they had that 16th overall pick, I still think that's great value for the Golden Knights. Where I fault them is 
if if the plan was to trade Max Pacioretty to open up the space, I feel like you should have done that before trading for Jack Eichel. Because if you would have done it before, you wouldn't have been up against the cap. You wouldn't have had to trade him, and you would have had a little bit more negotiating power. And I think you could have gotten a really good return. Max Pacioretty has been their best scorer by far over the last three years. If you look at a goals per 60, I mean, it's not even close. No one is even remotely close to him. Jonathan Marshall so second. And they should have gotten a pretty good return and definitely not had to pay Dylan Coghlan to get rid of him. But because the situation they're in, the other teams know they have no negotiating power. There's no leverage there. We're going to get them for nothing. Same thing with the Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard. If they had traded Marc-Andre Fleury and then went and got Robin Leonard, they probably would have got a great return for Marc-Andre Fleury. I mean, look, Chicago got a second round pick after Vegas had to give him away for free. The reason they had to give him away for free is because they traded for Robin Leonard. They signed him to a five-year deal and they're in position where everyone knows they have to make the move. So that's a really long way of saying, no, I don't think Max Pacioretty was in their plan. And I think that's part of the problem is they've gotten themselves into cap trouble and then tried to get themselves out. And so it's interesting because I feel like when the trade happened, for the most part, people were very much on your side. Vegas gets away with another instance of highway robbery. Um, and I feel like right now it's kind of an interesting flashpoint because things went so poorly for the Knights this past year. I think people are kind of in the middle of the road on this one. You know, Tuck comes into uh, Buffalo, looks really solid. Obviously, Peyton Krebs has – there's a lot of hope uh, in the Buffalo organization that he turns into a uh, a marquee player for them. Um, but I, I think what I find most interesting about this offseason is that Vegas does give Riley Smith a fairly substantial contract while getting rid of Max Pacioretty. Do those two moves factor into one another in your view? Um, maybe a little. I mean, if they would have let Riley Smith go, they probably could have kept Pacioretty. They would have probably had to trade a smaller, maybe like two or three million dollar salary to, to open up some space to sign those RFAs. But um, I think there is a concern by the Golden Knights with Max Pacioretty's ability to stay healthy. Um, it's not like he, he, he had one injury last year where he broke his foot blocking a shot. That's not one that you're concerned is going to happen again. That's a freak accident, but he has had major issues with like, whether it's his lower back or his groin, like his core, he's, he's had a lot of core injuries and they just will not go away and they keep coming back. So to me, I feel like they thought, you know what, Riley Smith is going to probably play 75 games this year. He fits perfectly into what Bruce Cassidy likes, which is 200-foot um, high hockey IQ forwards that play great defense. He likes to run a zone, and that takes such great communication. And Riley Smith, to me, is perfect for that. I just think Riley Smith, he may not be as good of a player as Max Pacioretty, but I think he fits what they need, and they just trusted they, they trust him to be there more often, um, even though he's not the scorer that Pacioretty is and replacing those, those goals is going to be very difficult to go back to that Eichel thing. I think a lot of people have switched their opinions and said, yeah, Vegas may not have won this Eichel trade. Mm -hmm. Look, they missed the playoffs, but I think the, there is a huge, huge, huge misconception from people outside of Vegas that Eichel didn't play well in Vegas. And that's not the case at all. Mm -hmm. Jack Eichel was spectacular here in Vegas, considering that he had just come off neck surgery and he hadn't played in 11 months and he's playing on a new team for the first time in a new system. And you look at the players he was playing with, they brought him in to play with Stone and Pacioretty or Marcheseau or Carlson, like really high-level players. He didn't play with any of those guys for basically any of his time here in Vegas. He was playing with third and fourth line guys that had to get bumped up there to play with him because there were so many injuries. He basically was on Buffalo again and, and having to carry the load and he wasn't able to. I think 
when people see Jack Eichel in an, in a system that he's been through a camp with this year and and on the ice with other talented players, assuming Mark Stone can get back to full health and and they can, they can actually make it through the preseason healthy, I think that people's perception of Jack Eichel is going to change drastically because I think there's been a massive overreaction of oh man it didn't work with Eichel in Vegas just because everyone else was hurt. I was going to I was going to go to Eichel next so I really appreciate this transition. I think that um you basically answered my question which was going to be how bullish you are on Eichel sort of hitting the you know he was a top 10 producer in the league the year before uh his injury the year before the um before the covid shutdown. And obviously, if you look just by the numbers, uh, I believe it was 30 points in 34 games or, or something like that. Um, yeah, just not up to not up to his usual performance level. Uh, it sounds like you are very bullish on Jack Eichel, though. Yes. Yeah. He not. So so like I've already given him all the excuses and they're mm-hmm. like there there are there are legitimate reasons, though, when you're looking at it. Like I, I watched the Golden Knights. The, the Golden Knights have acquired superstars basically every year and right. i've watched how it works and it basically works the same every time they got max patch ready for montreal max patch ready looked terrible his first year here in vegas it was the second season and he was not good everyone in vegas was freaking out oh my gosh i can't believe we gave up tatar and suzuki and this guy is not that good and then as the season kind of came to an end got to the playoffs he started looking really good he started looking himself and it was like okay he's finally settled this is a guy who spent his whole career in Montreal had never had to learn new teammates new system new city all this stuff it took him a while to look himself and then he did and then he was awesome for three straight years Alex Petrangelo same exact thing when they signed him he had never played for anywhere other than St. Louis he's coming from a very familiar place to an unfamiliar place and he looked bad the first half of the season people were terrified at that seven-year contract and then he took over and he was the best player on the team the second half of the season and in the playoffs he was spectacular I think Eichel Eichel's initial struggles and you add on the fact with the the neck surgery and he played half of it with a broken thumb I mean he Mm -hmm. he broke his thumb blocking a shot he wasn't even taking face-offs for a large portion of his of his season this year because he was playing with a broken thumb and yet I thought he still produced pretty well, not to Jack Eichel standards, but I think if you look at all the the factors around him, I think I expect him to be back to top 10 score and and possibly higher depending on the, the talent he's got around him. And I think that's really, really important for people to, I think that this is going to be a gut call with a lot of people, fantasy players drafting next season, because there's going to be a lot of folks who look at the numbers and are just like, I'm not grabbing Jack Eichel in the top 25 uh, of the NHL next yeah. year. And I think there's like, you know, he was going in, in fantasy drafts, like, you know, around five and six the year, uh, his last season at Buffalo. There's a real possibility, it sounds like, that you you could see him performing at that level, at that like, you know, first round pick level that that, that he was before the injury. Yeah. And, and the thing is like, and, and I, I'm not super into fantasy, but I do know that power plays and especially for a guy like Jack, Eichel, right. you have to score on the power mm-hmm. play. And this year, the Golden Knights, well, not just this year, for the last three seasons, yeah. the Golden Knights power play, to put it lightly, it's been a complete and utter embarrassment. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's being nice. It is unfathomably bad. And this year it was, it continued to be that 
the only player that showed any semblance of anything on the power play was Eichel. He looked very good on the power play. It was just no one around him did anything. They bring in Bruce Cassidy. I've already spoke with Bruce three or four times. This guy, I've never met someone who likes talking power play more than Bruce Cassidy. He is <laughs> obsessed with it. It was his introductory press conference. He'd just gotten to Vegas. He had landed like a couple days ago. He's still trying to find a house. He's like, there are so many things going on in this guy's life. And I asked him about the power play just kind of flippantly not expecting him to answer. And he goes, well, yeah, I had Marchand as a left shot on, on the, running it through the half wall. And now I've got a right-handed shot in Eichel. Like those are the things that are already going through his head on his flight to Vegas. Um, I expect the Golden Knights power play to be better. I don't expect it to be elite, but I expect it to take major steps. And if you're drafting Jack Eichel or, or a Mark Stone um, a little bit later, I think you should be able to count on a lot better power play production by the Golden Knights this year. And if the Golden Knights score power play goals, it's going to go through Jack Eichel. So that's good news. Absolutely. And I mean, we've seen Jack Eichel turn ordinary units otherwise in Buffalo into, you know, maybe not the greatest power play unit in the league. But, you know, he had Victor Olofsson scoring at a 20 goal, like 20 power play goal pace for periods uh, early on in, in Olofsson's career. He's he's somebody who can make plays uh, within the offensive zone. And so that is really exciting to think about what that could look like with a fully healthy Eichel. Um, speaking of health, which I'm sure we will multiple times for the rest of this interview, but got to go to Mark Stone next. First and only captain in Vegas history. Also saw a big dip in production this past season down from, you know, he was around a point per game guy for the, you know, ever since 2018 when he was still with Ottawa. And this year Stone puts up just 30 points in 37 games, uh, struggled with a back injury for most of the year. Stone also had a history of upper body injuries when he was still with the Sens. Um, and when you hear back injury just in general in a guy who just turned 30, it's hard not to be just a little bit worried about that. But I guess I'm I'm wondering how you feel, Jesse, uh, how concerned you are about this upcoming season could be more of the same for Mark Stone. Yeah, uh, to be frank, I'm very concerned. Um, like you said, back surgery, just talking with Mark Stone, he didn't sound all that confident at the end of season meetings. And that was before his surgery. And we asked him then, do you expect to have surgery? And he basically said, uh, we're not sure. I'm not going to have surgery just to have it. We have to make sure that the surgery will fix it. And like at that time, it sounded like he wasn't all that convinced that the surgery would fix it. And then a couple weeks later, they announced he's having surgery and he, he, he did have it. So just that alone gives me some pause. It gives me some concern. Um, last year, he did not look himself at all. And and the thing is, about I think about halfway through the season, he he led all skaters in assists per 60 and steals per 60. Despite playing with a messed up back and not looking himself, he was still when he was on the ice, he was he was playing very good hockey. And then it just got worse and worse and worse. And they just they kept thinking that if we give him a month, it'll it'll fix. And the problem is he would feel great and it feels great. And then all of a sudden you get into a game and it's 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 acting up again. And he just could not get it to this is a this has been going back to a long time. I mean, in the in the Montreal conference final, semifinal, whatever you want to call it, playoff series, it was really bothering him back then. So this is something that had been going on for a very long time. I think if you're if you're drafting Mark Stone, the positives are he did have the back surgery. He believes that is what it will fix this. And if he's back to himself, I think he's going to be phenomenal from a, I mean, especially if, if you're in a league that, that counts takeaways, because that's Mark Stone's bread and butter right there. I mean, he's the best. I don't think there's anyone in the league better at taking the puck away from somebody than Mark Stone is. And you put him on a line. I don't know if he's going to be playing with Jack Eichel, but it's 
that's a very real possibility. You put a guy who takes the puck away from people better than anyone and you get him on a line with a guy like Jack Eichel, who if Stone can steal the puck and give it to Eichel, he is gone the other way. Um, I think it can be a really lethal combo, but I am, I, I need to see Stone on the ice in preseason. I need to see him in camp. I need to hear from him. I like up until then, I'm still going to have some concerns. If we see him looking himself, if he says the back is great and we see him play some games, then the worry goes away and, and he's back to being an elite player. It's it's interesting to hear you say that, and I think like hearing the the comment about Stone and takeaways. I mean, I don't know of many forwards that I can I can't think of any other forwards where I've seen a highlight reel of just their them forechecking and <laughs> stripping the puck. Like that's just his thing. Uh, vintage Mark Stone. It sounds like you were seeing at parts of last year. So that that brings me a little bit of solace, I guess. To to sort of circle back a little bit to Eichel here. I guess the concern would be if if Stone is injured, that Eichel then finds himself in a similar situation to last year, where he still doesn't have, you know, there's no patch already to sort of uh, bail bail Eichel out if Stone does struggle with injuries. Would you be would you be worried about both players if uh, if Mark Stone is sort of comes into the season with uh, with some concerns or hesitations about the back? Um, not. Re- I mean, yes. If, if Stone, obviously Patch Reddy's gone, if Stone's out, mm-hmm. I don't think Eichel's going to be stuck with the same guys he was last year because um, Bruce Cassidy has already hinted at breaking up the misfit line, the Marshall So mm-hmm. Carlson Smith line. So I expect one of those three to be playing with Jack Eichel. So it's either going to be Stone and Smith or Stone and Marshall So. Or if Stone is hurt, he would probably get both Smith and Marcia. So, or, or maybe Chandler Stevenson, who to me, Chandler Stevenson had the best chemistry with Eichel last year. We didn't get to see a lot of people because they were all hurt. Riley Smith never played with Eichel. Uh, Mark Stone only played with him at the very end of the year and he was banged up. So um, I think Chandler Stevenson can play up there. I, I, I do think that as long as the Golden Knights don't have seven guys out like they did last year, Eichel will, ha- will be playing with talented players. And Stevenson is a guy I wanted to mention because he's one of the very few players on in Vegas who did not disappoint fantasy managers last year. Um, basically yeah. post career highs in all fantasy relevant categories, puts up 64 points, really nice breakout for Chandler Stevenson. Um, you know, if we're if we're heading into the season fully, uh, fully, fully healthy, everybody's coming back. Do you see sort of a do you see a, a path to line one power play one? deployment for Stevenson in 2023? Yeah, it's good. I do see a path for it. It's if, if you were, if you're considering drafting Chandler Stevenson, I would say watch training camp and preseason incredibly closely because Mm. I think Stevenson is either going to end up on the wing and he's going to be in a, in a, in a top line or, or, or second line role, which would obviously give him a lot of opportunities to score or he could end up being the third line center, which obviously would not be as good. And and the Golden Knights don't have a ton of depth scoring. I could see him on the third line with players like Keegan Colasar and Nick Wall. Like those aren't that's that's obviously not ideal if you drafted him expecting him to play with Jack Eichel and Mark Stone. Right. So I think if you watch him in training camp, if they've got him on the wing, if they've got him playing with those guys, you. I feel like Chandler Stevenson can produce again like he did last year. Um, the first two seasons with Stevenson in Vegas, I was very much a, I think he's a product of his environment. He's playing between Stone and Pacioretty. They're turning him into a a star player, a, a producer. He proved last year that that wasn't the case. He had to carry the load. He had to drive the offense for his lines, and he did all year long. Stevenson was so good last year. I mean, he skates really, really well. He's probably the fastest skater on the team. And he showed his hands that he really wasn't able to show in Washington when he was kind of buried under some really good centers there. So 
part of me worries that he could end up buried behind Eichel and Carlson and then he ends up on the third line. But also I think there's a real chance he ends up on the wing. So it's, <laughs> it's not a great answer if you're, if you have to draft him today or, or next week, but if your draft is later, I would say keep a close eye on Chandler Stevenson and see if he's on the wing or if he's at center um, during camp. Well, and I have to say, like, to your point on, on Stevenson's season last year, there were so many moments because of the injuries where Vegas would come up on the podcast and I'd just be like, I could see this sort of like uh, being the end of, of Stevenson's hot streak right now. And he would just keep producing, like, especially the first half of the year was just unbelievable. Um, and, and it seems to me like he could pretty much, I, I think we're seeing a, a sustained breakout, something where we're going to see a good player next year. But I definitely take your point that Bruce Cassidy will will have a lot to say about sort of how that shakes out uh, from a production standpoint. I also appreciate you already mentioning the discussion of, of uh, switching up the Marcia So Carlson and Riley Smith line. Like those three are so inextricable in my brain. I w- they're just all part of one question that I had prepped. And so like last year, you look at it, Jonathan Marcheseau has this great season, puts up 66 points. Smith bounces back from this mediocre 2021. Carlson has a bit of a disappointing, you know, continues that trend down from the 40 mm-hmm. goal season he had in the uh, the inaugural Golden Knights season. Uh, I guess I'm wondering under Cassidy, obviously you can't give me your uh, your perfect, you know, perfect information answer, but how do you how do you see things shaking out at this point in the offseason? Yeah, I think I, I'll say this. Carlson has been on a downward trend for three years, and I expect that to change. I think he's a guy that a player that Bruce Cassidy is gonna love. I think he's gonna use him a lot. And I think I think in Pete DeBoer's system. And, and this may sound like I'm ragging on Pete DeBoer's system. I'm not. I think Pete runs a good system. But I think for Carlson specifically, it really hurt him because the first couple of years in Vegas, Carlson scored all of his goals in front of the net. He's not a flashy guy. He scores tips. He scores rebounds. He's, he's He gets dirty goals in front of the net. And under DeBoer, he was asked to go into the corners and fight for pucks behind the net a lot. And when you're in those corners fighting for pucks, even if you win them, you're not getting to the front of the net to get those points. So I think I expect Carlson to be closer to the slot, closer to the front of the net a little more. I think he's going to be in the corners a little less, let the other wingers dig those pucks out and not Carlson. So I think that'll help him. And and I think he's a very confidence driven player when he's confident, he's aggressive with the puck on his stick and he puts up points. And when he's not confident, he kind of reverts to that fourth line player Dump, dumping and chasing like he was in Columbus prior to get, coming to the Golden Knights and having his real breakout. Um, I expect those three to be mix, mismatched to begin the season, at least. We we asked Cassidy this a couple days ago at development camp, and he said, the good thing about those three is we know that they can play together. And he's like, they could go five years without playing together, and we put them on the ice, and they're instantly awesome. Like, that's just how they are. It's been that way for five years. He has no doubt that that will happen. So instead of just sticking with the safe thing, he's like, let's try other things. Let's see if we can find a way to make this better for the team and not better for those three. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, you always have that fallback option of putting those three together. So he said, I mean, he was kind of wish-washy about it. He said maybe 10 games, whatever it is. He wants to try them at least to start the season. He's going to mix them up and not have them all three together. And he knows that he's got that as the fallback option. And that makes complete sense. I mean, when 
when the uh, when the Eichel trade first happened, I remember the hype being like, "Oh, we've seen what uh, what Stone and Pacioretty can do with Stevenson. Let's just imagine what they can do with Eichel." And it's like, well, actually, like their numbers are almost like perfect already. Maybe this is something that doesn't need to be messed with. Maybe you can find some advantages elsewhere. And so I, I, I certainly can see where Cassidy is coming from. I am kind of curious to hear from your perspective. I mean, you've you followed this team very closely since uh, since the inaugural year. How has this team been so successful and already been through two coaches? And, and do you feel like Cassidy is is doomed for a short stint here as well? Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the Golden Knights have had excellent coaching every season, and they fired two coaches. It's, it's so kind bizarre. of insane. Yeah. Um, I, I think Gerard Gallant is an excellent coach. I think Pete DeBoer is just as good. And um, to be honest, though, I thought Pete DeBoer's system was not a match with these players. Mm. I thought that he likes he likes to drive his offense from the point. And when you're doing that, you need forwards that are gritty guys that can take over the front of the net and, and screen goalies and get tips and do things like that. And the Golden Knights just didn't have those players. So instead, they were just firing shots from the point that were not dangerous chances. And goal, I mean, you saw it every night. Goalie's playing against the Golden Knights. He's probably going to have 48 saves. And it didn't look that difficult. Um, that's, to me, Pete DeBoer's system, I think it's going to work a lot better in Dallas. I think Dallas has way better personnel for what he runs. Um, Gerard Gallant, I don't know why they fired him. Um, I think that there was disagreements like in philosophy between him and the front office, mm. and maybe that had something to do with it. Um, in terms of Bruce Cassidy, how long he's going to be here, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think that I think Bill Foley, Bill Foley is an incredibly aggressive owner, and this front office is on the hot seat for sure. After all these trades they've made, they've they've made some really they've shaken things up a lot. And after missing the playoffs last year. I thought they were on the hot seat going into this offseason. They are still here, but I they're not safe for by any means. So I expect if there was a really bad start for this team, say they start 8 and 13 out of the gate, something really bad, I could see changes being made. And anytime the front office is changed, that obviously leaves you open to a, a coaching change. So I could I I I don't think George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon are going to move on from Bruce Cassidy anytime soon, but I could see a, a wholesale change if this team doesn't live up to its expectations. When's the last time you saw a team miss the playoffs in a terrible division? I mean, the Pacific mm -hmm. is awful mm -hmm. compared to the other three. And I don't know how many times you've seen a team miss the playoffs in a terrible division and then be expected cup or bust the following year. <laughs> and, and that's the situation the Golden Knights are in right now. And so one more question about this forward group, I guess, like if I look at the, this group, it certainly seems as though um, it certainly seems like we have a very clear top six. They're the, the six we kind of mentioned, Eichel, Stone, uh, Stevenson, Marcheseau, Carlson, Smith. Last year, though, we saw some decent numbers from Nicholas Waugh, uh, 39 points around a half point per game. Uh, anyone else? Does Waugh have a shot at, at cracking this top six? Anyone else who you could see sort of making noise uh, up front for Vegas next year? Yeah, I mean, so Nicholas Waugh is interesting because if you look at him, he's taken steps each of the last three seasons, both in responsibility in terms of like where he's playing in the lineup and his production. I mean, he went from 28 games to 50 to 78. His points went from 10 to 15 to 39. I mean, he's continually like taken steps. 
I think the Golden Knights are counting on him to do that again this year. Um, and that's part of the reason that they were able to trade Pacioretty. I think that they expect Nick Waugh to be an offensive contributor. I think he's going to probably get power play two time. I don't expect him to be on the power play one, but I but I think Nick Waugh has a chance to, to play some power play. Um, I don't know what his ceiling is in terms of offense. He's got good hands. He skates well. He's a big, lengthy guy. Um, I'm, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a little concerned with Waz because I think last year he was forced to play top line minutes, second line minutes a lot because of all the injuries this year, you have to assume that the players are going to be healthier above him, which means less opportunity to play in that top six. So I would be a little skeptical about Waz producing like he did last year. Um, I, a guy that, that maybe, I don't know if he's going to get top six minutes, but Brett Howden as a like absolute like late round flyer, he if you look at his per game basis last year, his his per sixty, his per game numbers were very good. Um, and and he obviously was playing a little higher in the lineup. He wasn't playing top line. He wasn't. I think he played one one game in the top six, but he was getting third line minutes this year. He might be relegated to fourth line. But this the the team is very excited about Brett Howden. I can tell you, Kelly McCrimmon is is very optimistic of, about Brett Howden and his offensive upside. I think they're counting on him to be a, a contributor from the bottom six. I don't know. Like, again, I'm not a big fantasy guy. I don't know how much a, a guy out producing his bottom six value. will. <laughs> we'll, I don't know how much good that does you in fantasy, mm-hmm. but I do think, I think Brett Howden is a guy they're going to look to, to pitch in. They have to fill a lot of goals that are leaving in, in Max Pacioretty. And I think Howden and, and Waugh are two guys that they think can help pitch into that. I can see it with Nick Waugh. I'm a Rangers fan, though, and, and it's tough for me to see a path where Brett Howden becomes a, a guy who <laughs> the team should be leaning on for offense. But uh, power to the, the Golden Knights organization. I, I do wish them the best in counting on Brett Howden. Um, we are going to take a quick break, Jesse. When we come back, we'll chat about some defense. I've got some questions for you about some goalies. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. Welcome back to Keeping Carlson. We have Jesse Granger here from The Athletic. Jesse, we are going to hop right over to defense, where in terms of fantasy, there are really two guys who are going to be drafted in every fantasy league. That's obviously Shea Theodore and Alex Petrangelo. Uh, Theodore has been the de facto number one power play guy since Petrangelo arrived two years ago. Petro still gets some power play opportunity. I think he plays roughly 50% of the power play. Theodore gets about 60%. Um, and Theodore peaked in 2021 with a 65-point pace, down again this past season, though, to around 55-point pace. So basically in line with what he was doing uh, the year before his, his his best season. Petrangelo, meanwhile, another season above half a point per game. He's obviously one of the premier um, defensive-oriented players in the league. And he can also do, uh, he, if you ask him to, he has been very uh, successful in an offensive role in the past um, but clearly not the Knights go to offensive option. I guess I'm just wondering if I, if you have any reason to give, to see the view, these two differently next year under Bruce Cassidy. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. I think if anything, they would be less valuable in fantasy, but mm. I don't, I'm not saying that with certainty. Um, I, I honestly don't know what it's going to look like with Bruce Cassidy, but what I can say is Pete DeBoer, as I mentioned earlier, runs his offense through the point. He loves get the puck deep, get it out to the point, take shots. And and Stevenson, I mean, sorry, Theodore and Petrangelo were obviously a huge part of that. And not only that, but on the power play, 
they were the quarterbacks. They, they Theodore, especially the puck is on his stick a lot mm-hmm. on the power play. So even if he's not scoring the goals, he's getting primary assists. He's getting secondary assists just because the puck is going through him. Bruce Cassidy in his opening press conference said, I believe in running the power play through forwards. I think they're, they're more comfortable with the puck on their stick in, in fast situations. He said, I like the four to one power play, uh, four forwards, one defenseman. He, uh, whereas DeBoer did use three, two, a little, I mean, he would go four one sometimes and he'd kind of go back and forth. But, um, I do think that Bruce Cassidy is going to lean less on Theodore and Petrangelo, um, in terms of like in sustained in zone offense, he likes to keep the puck a little lower, but I do think that Theodore may have a chance to play a little better in terms of in transition. I think Pete DeBoer's system called for Theodore to move the puck up to his forwards quickly and not carry it himself through the neutral zone. And I think if Bruce Cassidy gives him a little more freedom to do that the way he did under Gerard Gallant, I think Theodore can, I think Theodore's ceiling is higher if he's carrying the puck up the ice in transition rather than just kind of quick upping it to his forwards as fast as he can. Um, but yeah, I, I, like I said, if I, if I were to guess, I would be a little, I would lower their value a little bit under Cassidy because I don't think he's going to be running his offense through the point quite as much as Pete DeBoer did. But I, I suppose in terms of Theodore, at least if, if we expect him back on the top unit, a resurgent top power play or a, I guess, surgeon, if they haven't been resurgent or if they haven't been good in the past, uh, <laughs> maybe that sort of helps even out that, that bump in the road. Yes, for sure. I mean, it, it would definitely help him um, probably more than anyone. I think Theodore, if you look at his his power play points over the last few years, I mean, he he had 15 assists on the power play of back-to-back seasons last year. It dropped to 11. And remember, that was in a 53-game season or 56-game season. He played 53. He had 15 assists uh, at, on the power play. It dropped to 11 last year with 25 more games. Um, I think he has a lot more to give on the power play um, if they're decent. And so I think there's one other defenseman on the Knights who can be very useful in fantasy. We didn't get to see it much last year. That's Alec Martinez. Obviously uh, dealt with, was it a facial lacer- laceration that Martinez had last year? Yes, he got cut in the face with a skate. It yes. was pretty brutal. Yes, exactly. Nasty injury out for 50 plus games. Um, any concerns about Martinez's availability last year? I just recall like adding him to my team because it seemed like he was going to come back. And then all of a sudden it would be like, I oh, know he's not quite ready, sort of a back and forth thing, but I wouldn't expect an injury like that to linger into this year. Yeah. His, his injury is a really odd one. It's the strangest injury I've ever encountered in terms of hockey. And I still don't have all the details. Uh, Alec Martinez has told me he doesn't want to discuss it yet, but he did say that there were certain points in the recovery where he thought he might've played his last NHL game. Like he thought he was going to possibly have to retire. Luckily for him, that didn't end up happening. And he ended up playing pretty well at the end of the season, but um, it wasn't just the cut to the face. He was having concussion like symptoms uh, and other strange things that were going on with it. Um, In terms of my concern going into this year, I think he should be fine. Other than the fact that he is an older defenseman with a lot of miles who who lays in front of shots. So would I be surprised if he's injured this year? No, because he that's all the guy does is lay in front of shots and block them. Now that's great for fantasy. Obviously it racks up fantasy points. Um, as long as he's on the ice, he is a block machine. I mean, he, he even in practice, it cracks me up like in just scrimmages in practice when they're just messing around, he's still laying in front of shots. He can't help it. That's what he does. Um, 
Where I would be a little concerned is his offense. Um, Alec Martinez has seen a little bit of an offensive resurgence since coming to Vegas. I mean, the last few seasons in LA, he didn't put up a lot. He, he did have 32 points and nine goals in 2020-2021. And a big part of that is Martinez was a major factor on the power play. He scored three power play goals. He had six power play assists, and he was kind of in that right circle area. And he's got a very good one-timer. He's not necessarily an offensive guy, but he does have a good one-timer from that circle. And the Golden Knights used it as a big weapon. As I mentioned earlier, with Bruce Cassidy saying he wants to run a four forward, one defense unit, and he wants to run it through the forwards, to me, that says Alec Martinez is out on the power play. Um, Obviously, with Theodore and Petrangelo, they're going to be the two guys getting the power play minutes. So if both of those guys are, are healthy, I don't see a way for Alec Martinez to contribute on the power play. And I think that was a big reason for his offensive jump when he came over from L.A. So I would not count on much out of Martinez from the power play. As long as he's healthy, you're going to get a ton of blocks because it's what he does. And as we move down through the roster, we finally get to goaltending where it looks like Vegas was, I mean, I would have to imagine that at least Vegas's front office felt like it was set. They had two of the best goaltenders in the league very recently with Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Lehner. They wind up choosing to lock up Lehner for five years. Uh, they end up having to get rid of Marc-Andre Fleury essentially for nothing. As you mentioned before, Lehner uh, on this five-year, $25 million contract has not hit the heights that he hit prior to coming over to Vegas uh, in the years uh, in the, the years prior. Um, and then this year struggles with injuries and winds up, I, I believe the, the most recent injury news I could find was that he was, uh, that he was injured indefinitely. Um, from what I can tell, that's true of all goaltenders who have ever played for, or who are on the Ve Vegas Golden Knights roster. Um, does Vegas have a goaltender heading into 2023? Yeah, it's so I, I don't know if Robin Leonard's going to be ready to start the season. He did have, he had, he mm. underwent shoulder surgery in May. Um, and looking at the timeline, it looks like it's going to be close. And we actually asked Kelly McCrimmon this a uh, couple times over the last few weeks. And he was kind of like, he didn't really feel like answering it, which worries me. Um, I think if he, if they, if they were for sure, Robin Leonard was going to be ready to start the season, they would just say it. So the fact mm -hmm. that he's, the fact that he's a little, um, <laughs> hesitant to answer worries me a little bit they, he said that they he thinks the timeline is going to be close and he said that they haven't been working with robin on a day-to-day -day basis because he's kind of you know how players are in the offseason they go work with their own people he said once we get him back into vegas at the end of july and we start working with him on a day-to-day -day basis we'll have a better idea of where he's at and where his timeline is but even if he's not ready to go to start the season i do expect leonard to be 100 percent at some point relatively early in the year um considering the surgery was back in may so um, I think they, I think Robin Leonard's the, the number one goalie. Um, I think Loren Brassois, mm -hmm. his, Loren Brassois also underwent offseason surgery and his timeline from what I understand is a little bit longer than Leonard's. So he probably will not be ready to start the season. Um, they'll probably have Logan Thompson. Logan Thompson will either be Leonard's backup or he may be starting the year. Um, they also picked up Michael Hutchinson in, in free agency, but, but Logan Thompson got to play quite a bit down the stretch and was really good for them. And, and he's a young goalie that they really like. So um, I think 
Logan Thompson may have to step in early if Robin Leonard isn't ready. And and even if Robin Leonard's ready, I mean, is he going to be like ready to play NHL games? You have to get back up to speed. If he misses all of camp and preseason, um, you, you don't think they're just going to toss him out there on opening night. So, so it wouldn't surprise me if, if Logan Thompson has to start the year, but if you're drafting seat for a season long goalie, I think Robin Leonard is going to be the, the number one guy in Vegas for, for most of the year, if not all of it. That, that tracks for sure. And hopefully we see a, uh, a return to form for Laner. Um, in terms of, uh, in terms of Logan Thompson, though, I feel like there is an opportunity for him here because, I mean, I don't think the Knights are married to Laurent Brassois as a, you know, a number two guy. I would imagine that they would, they would love to give Logan Thompson an opportunity to kind of, uh, to, to force his way into more starts. Yeah. It's so it's interesting because the Golden Knights entered this offseason needing to shed salary. Obviously, they traded Pacioretty that cleared up seven million. I thought for sure the first guy to go would be Loren Bressois because he makes $2.3 million and Logan Thompson makes basically nothing. Um, he's making below the league minimum because he signed the deal before the minimum went up. Um, that's, a lot of money for a team that's pressed against the cap the way the Golden Knights are. That's almost $2 million. It's like $1.7 in, in a difference. To me, the Golden Knights would love... And, and, and honestly, I thought Logan Thompson was better than Loren Bressois last year. So if you can get a goalie who's been better at a much cheaper price, I think that's the ideal way. But the problem is when a goalie misses the the end of the year, he's out indefinitely, and then he undergoes surgery, and you're not sure if he's going to be ready for next year, and he's a backup goalie, it's really, really, really hard to trade that guy. So I can imagine no one in the league wants anything to do with trading for him while he's still coming back from the surgery. So it's an interesting dynamic. I don't know if the Golden Knights plan on possibly moving him later when he gets healthy um, and, and letting Logan Thompson kind of take that backup role. I, I do not know. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of a, an odd situation that's up in the air because of all the injuries to, to him and Leonard. And I would suspect, too, therefore, that the Knights probably can throw him on LTIR to start the season. Probably, yeah. Okay. Um, and then in terms of Laner, I, I still feel like this is a guy who very recently there was there was talk that he might be the best goalie in the league. You know, the, kind of like the hipster pick in terms of, you know, everybody knows about your Vasilevskis. Mm-hmm. But Robin Laner was the guy who, like, over the past few years really found his game and, and his save percentages were ridiculously high on these very mediocre teams before he arrives in Vegas. And he's been a little bit average in terms of his production since arriving. Do you have any sense on, or, or any expectations of things sort of coming back for Robin Lehner? Yes, I do. I, I expect a big time bounce back from Robin Lehner. Um, and, and for those listening that don't follow me in Vegas, I'm a goalie. I've played goalie my whole life. I talk to the goalies in the room. I'm the goalie guy. I, I, it's all I do is goalies. And I, I feel very good about Robin Leonard bouncing back. I think there's a huge recency bias. I think the, the fans here in Vegas are very concerned about Robin Leonard to the point where some of them were asking to trade him away and just let Logan Thompson be the number one goalie, which to me is insane with the small sample size of Thompson. But that's how high the concern was for Leonard here because down the stretch, he was terrible. And I think that's just overreacting to recency bias because early in the year, the first month or two, maybe two months of the season, Robin Leonard was the best player on the ice by a long shot for the Golden Knights. I mean, they were banged up. Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone both went out the second game of the season for months. Uh, William Carlson broke his foot a couple games later. They were so banged up. They had nobody healthy. And Robin Leonard was, I mean, they were playing five AHL guys 
in, in their lineup. And Robin Leonard was standing on his head back there, keeping them in games. Um, there's a, a road trip. I remember it was Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal. And then they, then they came home and played Seattle, Vancouver, and they won all five of those games. And they probably deserved to win none of them. And Robin Leonard would just stand on his head for two periods. And at the end of the third, at the end of the second period, it'd be one, nothing um, Vegas is trailing when it should probably be six, nothing. And then Vegas would get two goals in the third and win the game. And I just remember thinking, this is the goalie that they signed to five years. This is the guy they wanted. And then he injures his shoulder. He came back. He opted not to have surgery. That that shoulder, they knew he would have to have surgery the moment he injured it, but he could play through it without making it worse. So he played through it. And I don't think he played very well. And then he had a huge injury, a major injury to his leg. Um, it was to his shin bone knee area. And he played through that too. And I and I really thought that specifically that one hampered him a lot because Robin Leonard's not an athletic goalie. Um, his, he, he's great positionally. He reads the play. He diagnoses where the shot's going to come from as good or better than anyone in the league. And his weakness is when he makes the first stop, if the puck ends up in front of him, he doesn't have the athleticism to, to get across, to make those acrobatic desperation, secondary saves. And once he hurt that knee, once he went down on his knees, he was even more immobile than he normally is. And he was just getting killed on, on those second chances. Um, to me, that's not Robin Leonard. That's Robin Leonard without a shoulder and without a knee. Um, I think coming into this year, if he can get fully healthy, he's had this really long offseason. He had the shoulder surgery. If he can get back to being 100%, I expect him to be looking like the maybe not elite. I don't think Robin Leonard is a top five goalie in the league. I think people who, who, like you said, he was the trendy pick because of his, his save percentage numbers. Um, I think Robin Leonard can be somewhere between five and 10 though. And I expect him to be back to that range. I expect him to be a very good goalie. And if the golden Knights, if the things, if things work out for them and their guys are healthy and they return to contendership, Robin Leonard is a great goalie to have in fantasy because he's going to rack up the wins. He's going to rack up the the great goals against average. I think Bruce Cassidy is going to have this team playing the best defense they've ever played. You look at his numbers in Boston over the last four years, the Bruins have given up the fewest high danger chances, the fewest scoring chances, and the fewest expected goals in the NHL. Um, I think that sets up really well for Robin Leonard, not just because it sets up well for any goalie. And Bruce Cassidy mentioned this in his presser. He said, I think I run a goalie friendly system. And I agree with him. And I think it's even more friendly for a goalie like Robin Leonard, who relies on his mental aspects of the game to, to be so strong. Um, Bruce Cassidy likes to run a zone defense. It's not strictly zone, but if they get hemmed in their own end, they, they switch to a zone. And to me, a goalie who reads the play well and knows how to use his angles and knows how to take the net away can play so well in his own defense because it's it's more predictable. You know, these areas of the ice are where we're going to give chances up from because we're not covering those areas as well. Meanwhile, I know a shot is not coming from here because Riley Smith is there and that's his zone and they're never the other team's not even going to try to go there because why would they? Riley Smith's there. I think a goalie like Robin Leonard, who, when he knows where the shot's coming from, he's so big, he's so good at using his size to cut off the angle. I think a predictable uh, attack is just, he's just going to eat it alive. So I, I think for a lot of reasons, I think for health, and I think for the way Bruce Cassidy is going to run this team, I think Robin Leonard is setting up to have a big time bounce back year. I have to say, as the, you know, as somebody who's asking you these questions and coming into it fairly, um, fairly down the down the middle in terms of my expectations for Vegas you are you're definitely hyping me up on <laughs> these players like Robin like you're you're 
And I'm noticing Robin Lehner is now a name that you kind of say the full name every time. Like <laughs> it makes sense. It, it really flows a lot better than just saying the last name. Yeah. I, I'm recognizing now. Um, but I, I teased it at the beginning, Jesse. Uh, I, I said I was going to ask you sort of what where you see this Vegas team coming down, you know, putting you on the spot here. How do you see them performing this upcoming year? Do you see a return to the playoffs seems I feel like if I had to predict, you're going to say, you know, at least in this Pacific, they should be able to get back to the playoffs. But do you see them becoming a, another, a contender again? Do you see them being in the, the chase for the Stanley Cup this year? Yeah, I, I, I think for sure playoffs. I would be I would be shocked if this team missed the playoffs again. Um, so I think they're going to be in it. I think, like you mentioned, the Pacific Division ha- is a big reason for that. It's it's a lot easier to make it in the Pacific than it is in the Metro or the Atlantic, for example. Um, but where they go beyond that, I honestly do not know. I mean, I, I have to see how Bruce Cassidy's system works with this team. It could give them a boost. It could they could look worse. I mean, Pete DeBoer was a great coach. There's there's a real possibility that they're not as good under Bruce Cassidy. Um, and then the other thing to me, to me, the biggest question mark, the biggest X factor, the biggest thing that's going to determine how the Golden Knights season goes and if they can be a Stanley Cup contender is can Mark Stone return to being Mark Stone? Because not just his on ice ability, but he is the captain of this team. I mean, he is this team. When, when Mark Stone's going, everyone plays better. He's just such a big piece of this team's emotion, their heartbeat, everything in the locker room, all the intangibles, it's Mark Stone. And, and they even mentioned on road trips this year, when he, even when he wasn't playing, they liked just having him on the plane. It helped this team. I think if he can get back to being Mark Stone, this team is a Stanley Cup contender. If his back continues to bother him and this surgery doesn't fix what they're hoping it does, um, then I think they're destined for a, I don't know, first or second round exit. And and I don't think they can compete with Colorado. With Mark Stone at the elite Mark Stone and, and a Jack Eichel that's healthy, I think they can absolutely compete with Colorado. That's uh no, I, I think that that's very reasonable and very well argued. Uh, one last question for you here, Jesse, and it's a, you know, I want to take a, a quick peep down the the prospect pipeline. Um, Vegas is a team who famously has been very, uh, very keen to trade away the future to compete in the short term. Any players coming up in the prospect pipeline who you think fantasy managers should be aware of, should be keeping their eye on uh, as the, you know, hopefully next year, but even down the line in keepers or dynasty leagues? Yeah, I think... There's basically just one, and it's Brendan Brisson. Um, he was their first round pick in 2020. They took him 29th overall, and he he played his last year. He had a crazy season. He started at Michigan, which was obviously that stacked team with all those first round picks, and and he played really well on that team and produced as well as as the guys like Matty Berniers, who who was obviously drafted a lot higher than him. Um, and then he went and he played in the Olympics for Team USA and he produced in the Olympics and and he scored some goals. And then he went from there and he started his pro career. He played the end of the year and the playoffs in the AHL with the Henderson Silver Knights. And he did the same thing there. He scored a bunch of goals. Um, this kid, I don't think his his 200 foot game, his I don't think he has a full game right now. I don't think he's ready to play in the NHL in terms of being a guy who you can rely on to, to play in the defensive zone. But I think he has one skill that is exceptional, and that's his one timer. Um, the pass doesn't have to be in the perfect pocket. He adjusts his body well to get that shot off. And I don't know if it's going to translate to the NHL, but so far at every level he's played, it's translated basically instantly. I mean, I, I watched his first game in the AHL. He scored two goals. 
one-timers from the exact same spot when everybody knows that's all he does and he still got it done. So if that can be his only weapon, um, they'll find a spot for you in the NHL if all you do is score one-timer goals. I don't know if it's if he's going to be if the rest of his game is going to be strong enough to get him into the lineup this year in order for him to make that impact. Um, Kelly McCrimmon said they're hoping he's an NHL player this year. I'm not really sure. Um, we've talked about their cap problems. A player on an entry level deal that's making nine hundred thousand dollars would help that a lot, and especially a guy like Brendan Brisson, who you could probably plug into a top six line. You could plug him in to a line next to William Carlson and Marcia So, or or next to Eichel and Stone, and just let him be that that scorer. If that ends up happening, man, what a steal would he be in fantasy? Because he's not going to be drafted, I would assume, because he, there's, I mean, most likely he's starting the year in the AHL. But I do see a unlikely path, albeit, but there is a path to him being a top six player on this team and just being a a goal scorer. Um, I don't know because Bruce Cassidy values defense so highly. I mean, that is like the number one thing on his list when he's looking at his forwards is, can I trust them defensively? I don't know if Brendan Brisson will be good enough to to work his way into the lineup, but he's the one guy that I think he's either going to be a top six guy who probably plays on the power play or he's going to spend the whole year in the AHL. There's really no in between. Jesse, thank you so much. You've answered every single one of my questions with aplomb. That's a new word for me. I think it's the first time I've ever said it. But uh, thank you so much for joining us. Where would you like people to find your work? Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, they, everyone can, they can follow me on Twitter at Jesse Granger underscore. And um, if you are thinking about trading for or drafting Chandler Stevenson, follow me at training camp. I will be tweeting out where he's at. That'll be key. <laughs> and and if you want to read my stuff, I'm at The Athletic. Uh, I, I cover Golden Knights. I do a little bit of betting stuff and I, and I write some national uh, like goalie pieces on, on just goalies in specific. So, so lots of stuff at The Athletic if, if anyone wants to check it out. Excellent. Everyone listening should absolutely be following Jesse and keeping your eye on his feed as we get closer to the season. Jesse, again, thank you so much. We really appreciate it.